1: And if you're a conservative, you should be optimistic. You know, my main priority right now is
2: making sure that it delivers for the American people.
3: Yeah, the president sounded like he's concerned about it, but no specifics, no change in policy.
1: We have to make our country great again, and I will do that.
3: I think the president gets criticized by people all the time for the stuff he says, by people who ignore what he does.
1: Now, Fox's chief political anchor, Brett Baird. Baird. In less than a year, Americans will take to the polls once again for the midterms, all of the openings in the U.S. House of Representatives, 24 seats in the U.S. Senate, 36 elections for governor across the nation. Will we see a 50-50 Senate? Where is the politics leaning right now? Is this really, as Republicans talk about, a red wave to come? And what is the 2022 gubernatorial state of play? all leading obviously to the next presidential election for this and more we'll bring in our panel this week republican strategist former campaign manager for senator scott brown colin Reed; democratic strategist syndicated talk radio host leslie marshall and chief washington correspondent co-host of the fox news rundown mike Emanuel. and mike i want to start with you uh, with the news obviously over the weekend about Senator Bob Dole passing at the age of 98. And we are talking about elections to come here a little bit later, Uh, but you talk about someone who is a lion of the Senate and someone who is uh, for decades, a kind of a creature of Washington, but managed to do it in a way that reached across the aisle. Uh, Bob Dole was it.
3: Brett, no question about that. Uh, Really an extraordinary figure in 20th century American politics. Someone who was a force on Capitol Hill, uh, certainly had a feisty personality at times, but was also quite capable of reaching across the aisle. And uh, the outpouring of support since his passing has been extraordinary. Praise from his former political opponent, former President Bill Clinton, Barack Obama, and also former President Donald Trump. And so to really get that kind of praise across the political spectrum uh, suggests an extraordinary life in American politics and a, a figure that. Um, really stood out,
1: and obviously, Colin also uh, a product of the and one of the greatest generation as a World War II vet and someone who fought, fought for veterans, uh, specifically the World War II Memorial and the Freedom Flights that take veterans to go see that. Uh, do you know? Do you think in today's day and age, with the politics that we're facing now, that there could be a Bob Dole kind of figure? Um, Kind of that larger-than-life Senate lion, or are we past that because of our politics?
2: Well, let's hope so, uh, Brett. I mean, the term gets overused, but in this case, it's, it's very fitting. Bob Dole was a patriot in every sense of the word. Uh, for the reasons you just mentioned and many more. And I think one of the things that's really missing from our politics today is a sense of humor. Uh, he was someone who had was known for his ability to poke fun at himself and and, and take his job seriously, but not himself too seriously. And uh, he, in many ways, he represented an era that's bygone, at least for now. But I, I think you hit on it right. And tomorrow will mark the the solemn occasion of uh, the Pearl Harbor anniversary and uh, uh, senator dole later in life became someone who's so associated with the world war ii memorial here in washington and i know anyone regardless of their political leanings or their 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 point of view if you if you go down there to watch and spend some time Man, at the world is. war ii memorial it's just an amazing place I, I and uh with something that he's become so associated with so uh we will certainly all miss him and uh let's hope he, there is a a future bob dole waiting in the wings but they they broke the mold with him
1: yeah. And lastly, Leslie, I guess what I'm talking about is this bipartisan approach, whether that's going to make a comeback in our politics. You know, one of the most emotional moments about Bob Dole was when uh, Senator Daniel Inouye uh, died and from Hawaii, Democrat. And Dole, paying his respects, got up out of his wheelchair and and hobbled over to the casket uh, to touch it to say goodbye to his friend, who we worked across the aisle with, but also had a mutual respect As a veteran, uh, I mean, can we hope that that's going to be our
0: politics down the road? I hope. And down the road, I think, is key, Brett, because we, we know that pretty much everything in, in our in our lives is cyclical to some degree. History has taught us that. And politics is no exception. Uh, but to your point uh, about uh, former Senator Dole, who I did happen to interview years ago, and he actually has a great sense of humor, and not just because he let me interview him, but uh, he really did. Tom <laughs> Daschle uh, wrote a great op-ed in The Washington Post, a strong Democrat himself, as Bob Dole was a strong Republican. And when you talk about crossing the aisle, and of times for people that don't know he supported the civil rights act he supported the voting rights act stood up for the elderly. He worked with uh, senators like Patrick Moynihan. Uh, He also worked with Tom Daschle. He also worked with uh, George McGovern, Tom Harkin, uh, nutrition assistants. He stood up for the disabled. He he worked on the Americans with Disabilities Act. And and as I think it was Colin that mentioned, uh, the World War II uh, memorial and the campaign for that. Um, He was a a veteran uh, that served our nation. So I know there are people on my side of the aisle uh, that are upset with his support of Trump. I know there are people on the other side of the aisle that were upset with Bob Dole endorsing and voting for uh, Donald Trump in the last, not the last, but the former presidential election in 2016. But when you look at his life, he did work on a bipartisan uh, level. And when you look at his life, uh, he was a-, a great individual who gave his service for his nation uh, as being part of the military and as a veteran and gave certainly service uh, as a politician uh, to the constituents in his state. Yeah. Mike, as
1: we get ready for midterms, and really it's started, we're within a year now, and it's going to be in earnest moving forward. Uh, Republicans seem in a pretty good position. Uh, If you talk to, uh, you talk to the leaders up on the House side, they seem pretty confident, the Senate less so, but in in a old position.
3: You're absolutely right, Brett. Um, Republicans in the House, when they see close to 20 Veteran Democrats retiring, not seeking reelection next year. That suggests to them that Democrats are seeing the similar trends that they are seeing that suggests that uh, a Republican could be holding the speaker's gavel um, after the 2022 elections. Uh, Senate, as you mentioned, is a little trickier. There are some veteran Republican senators who are retiring. uh, Roy Blunt, Pat Toomey, to name a couple. Um, And obviously in a place like Pennsylvania, it's going to be a little bit more challenging for Republicans to hold that seat. So while it's a 50-50 split and they're hopeful that the trends will be heading their way after uh, the midterms or during the midterms next year, um, they are not certain that uh, there are as many guaranteed uh, easy seats as they see on the House side of the Capitol. And so uh, certainly more bullish on the House side. But I think the GOP overall is hopeful uh, that they may have a real opportunity to take back majorities in both the House and the Senate.
1: Colin, I, I guess the biggest political question that we have in coming months really has more to do with former president Trump than anything else. And whether he isn't legitimately going to run for 2024, he probably won't make that decision until officially until after 2022. But um, it seems like the machine is even working. uh, And whether he has kind of a a role in some of these races, we're already seeing in the Georgia governor's race, uh, David Perdue, who lost in the U.S. Senate race, running against Brian Kemp, the incumbent Republican. On the Democratic side, you already have Stacey Abrams uh, running again for governor. She really never said she lost that race, but she is running again (laughs) for governor. Um, Is The friction that we see on the left with progressives and moderates, do you think we're gonna see that friction on the right with MAGA, Trump supporters, and kind of more mainstream Republicans?
2: Well, certainly the Republican Party is going through a period of soul searching and the former president is going to road test some of his messages in 2022 as he looks to potentially ahead to 2024. Uh, But the 2024 midterms, Brett, are going to be a referendum on the current president, not the last one. You mean the 22 the 22 elections, excuse me. That's right. And the, the reason I think Republicans are right to be bullish, at least on the House side, is 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 the state of the Biden presidency. Uh, J- Joe Biden has not delivered and, and on, on his key signature promise of COVID, uh, of reigning in the pandemic, of crushing the pandemic, which uh, is the bar he set for himself. It's not a bar that I think anyone uh, expected one person to be able to control, but that's what he kind of staked his presidency on. And, and we're, we're heading into, a at best, a period of uncertainty. And I, I Moving past that, I fail to see uh, a clear path for Joe Biden passing his Build Back Better plan, and that's really what Democrats are hinging their entire midterm strategy on, which is passing this thing, rallying their base, giving people a reason to show up and then hoping that uh, they can uh, hold down their losses in the Senate. Now, the other part that I would say as a word of caution to my fellow Republicans is candidates matter and candidate quality matters and campaigns matter. So on the Senate side, there's plenty of wins there for the taking. The political wins are at the Republicans back. Uh, we just have to make sure we nominate candidates who can run and win in, in blue and purple states uh, through which this Senate majority runs through next year
1: know yeah, I want to talk about Bill back better in a second, but uh, and the status of things on Capitol Hill, but uh, Leslie, one of the things that's been a conundrum for me is watching these stories about the Vice President Kamala Harris and the exodus from her staff and these leaks from clearly inside the White House. Um, Talking about her in in some way, shape, or form, concerns within the Democratic Party. What do you make of all of this and all this focus? I mean, this is not
0: made up right wing stuff. This is coming from inside the administration. It's not helpful. I mean, it's certainly not helpful. I mean, look, if uh, the House is taken by Republicans and it probably will be, that is, again, historical and and encyclical. You know, we're going to see Kevin McCarthy, if he's House Speaker, which he probably will be, run into the same problems that Nancy Pelosi has with the uh, progressives uh, in in the squad in my party. Um, he, He is going to and he already is having to contend with. Uh, you know, outburst and, and disgustingly uh, horrific things that are being said by Marjorie Taylor Greene or Lauren Boebert. So it doesn't help whether you're a Democrat or Republican, whether you're you know a vice president. It's coming from within your own party. The good thing about that for my party and anybody in an election is we all know that voters have very short-term memories. By the time the election comes around in 2024, that approval ratings will be hopefully behind us. They won't remember $1.9 trillion price tags. They won't remember Afghanistan. People who really would, would probably not have uh, voted for uh, Joe Biden or a Democrat uh, to begin with. One of the things I think my party needs to do, though, that I think Republicans are doing very well is is the messaging and the on-point messaging. Examples. Um, education and immigration are two issues. And then you can add crime to that as well, that Republicans are really honing in on. And like you had referenced um, earlier, Brett, uh, in this uh, segment of the conversation, Democrats can't just, you know, you know, inject the name and invoke the name uh, Trump and say we're not Trump or we're not like that other person. It's still the economy stupid. When you look at the polls right now, women, women. Blacks, Latinos, white males, what matters most to them? The economy. So if COVID gets behind us and we stop having these mutations or the mutations are not as strong going forward as, uh, you know, virologists say they won't be, um, the Dems might be rewarded for them. Voters have short-term memories. And I'm hoping that Democrats will get the message from me and others in our party to get on message and on point and really talk about the economy, because that's what voters care most about. Yeah.
1: Guys, let's hold it right there. We'll continue. After this, from the Fox News Podcasts Network.
2: Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.
1: Mike, about where things stand on Capitol Hill, it, it does seem like there are speed bumps to come that uh, the Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says he wants to pass the Build Back Better bill before Christmas. But boy, you just, I, I don't see a picture where that happens, uh, making Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema Sin- happy, making sure that all the moderates who we haven't heard about who may have problems with it are also happy. They need all the votes.
3: Absolutely right. Every vote counts. And, uh, you know, that's why some suggest that Joe Manchin and or Kirsten Cinema could be the most powerful people in Washington at this point, because anything that the Democrats want to get through on the Hill, they need all 50 on board. And those two seem to be the most vocal about their concerns. Um, you know, Manchin has talked about wanting to wait until next year on Build Back Better to see the impact of inflation. Uh, now that the administration has dropped the term transitory for inflation, suggesting it's going to be here for a while, Um, it's not entirely clear whether, you know, Schumer will try to force it sooner, but, uh, certainly as long as Manchin is sticking to his guns and, and concerned and, and cinema too, um, they have a whole lot of power in terms of, you know, what does it take to get them to yes? And will they eventually get to yes? And, and if not, then Schumer cannot go forward. And so, um, the leverage they have, they are certainly using, it's making some on the progressive left, absolutely crazy. Uh, even Dick Durbin, who's a pretty mild-mannered person in, in most regards, uh, has expressed a whole lot of frustration, like, enough already, we've been negotiating for months, let's vote, um, but Manchin and Cinema aren't there yet, and so um, it's not entirely clear when they'll get there, and it may, mm-hmm. it may drag for months, and then as you get into an election year, perhaps it, it withers away.
1: Right, I, I do think that's the fear on the Democratic side, and I've I've talked before on this podcast on the show about how this is legislative Jenga. That if you pull out the wrong block, that other things topple over, and you have a lot of blocks in play here, Colin. I mean, you've got you know still the parliamentarian making a decision about immigration, which hasn't really come down yet, uh, which is in this bill. You've got uh, paid leave. You've got schooling and health care and all kinds of different dynamics that the devil's in the details. And these folks, it seems, want details.
2: Yeah, it's a it's a real smorgasbord of spending. And it's a bunch of different priorities jammed underneath uh, the umbrella of one bill but I mean, I remember the debate over Obamacare, Brett, in 2009, and, and that was happened right before Christmas time, uh, which are quickly approaching, and that was just in the Senate side, and they still had to get it through the House. And the reason I bring that up is this year, the the so-called Build Back Better bill is the equivalent of 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 Obamacare, the federal health care legislation, because it's going to be the centerpiece of what uh, the president's party runs on next year. And uh, Leslie's right that voters have somewhat of a short memory, but if we if the calendar flips to 2022, and you've got a bunch of vulnerable Democratic senators who know they're facing voters in just a few short months, uh, the appetite and incentive for them to put their name behind an extremely controversial piece of legislation, which can be easily messaged against them back home in their states, uh, that wanes dramatically. So time is not on uh, the Democrat side here. Uh, They've had uh, unfettered control of government for the last eight, nine months. And uh, each each passing day, uh, I think, decreases the odds of this bill getting passed. But then if you don't do that, uh, you have no reason for base voters on the Democratic side to show up and vote next year because they haven't really got anything for their investment. So it's it's becoming uh, quickly. uh, The time is quickly running out before we turn our attention to politics. And that's not good news for the party in charge right now. Leslie,
1: I mean, I just don't think that the administration has received that much credit for the infrastructure bill, which is a big hurdle to get a bipartisan bill through on infrastructure. It's talked about for all the time in every administration. They did it, but because they linked it to this other bill, that linkage is now hinging on whether the other bill passes. And it's a little bit of a PR
0: conundrum. I I would agree with you on that. I have said on this podcast, I've said on a Special Report, your show on television and other Fox programs, I did not agree with and many of my party, especially centrist and moderates, did not agree with the linking and uh, with Speaker Pelosi, in a sense, allowing the more progressive faction of my party to hold her and the infrastructure package um, hostage, because at the end of the day, I mean, you know, she she stood up and she said, OK, I'm House Speaker, this is going down and it went down and you know, <laughs> it passed. Um, now, the, the problem I have also, not just with my party, but with politicians in general, is the foreshadowing and the deadlines, right? I can't stand it. I can't stand it because if you don't reach your deadline and the longer you take to finish a package, especially a $2 trillion package as this is, um, it, it becomes more vulnerable and more factors come up. Like you said, the devil's in the details. They want details. So the longer time goes on, goes on, the longer they have to argue and question and wonder if they now want that detail that they perhaps agreed to before. The other thing, obviously, there's unanimous opposition uh, by Republicans. So Democrats, like you had mentioned, will need all their votes uh, in uh, our 50-50 Senate right now. Uh, they're going to need all but three votes in the House Um, and uh, before they pass the bill again with Senate revisions and sending it to the president. And, you know, look, if you just look at the polls, Americans, whether Democrat or Republican, across the board support a lot of things like prescription drug prices being lowered. I mean, who wouldn't want to pay less money for medicine? Uh, Pharmaceutical companies just have jacked up the prices, especially uh, the older voters. So this could be a win for Democrats. But if it takes too long and it gets watered down too much, although I do think it will pass, if it takes too long and it watered, it gets watered down too much, they cannot take as big a victory lap if that happens. But, Mike,
1: uh, Leslie brings up something really interesting, and that is, let's say, it does get scaled back or watered down, as she says, in the Senate, and somehow they get the votes of Manchin and Cinema enough to pass. Then there has to be a concern about the progressives in the House getting really PO'd that what they fought for to pass in the House, uh, you know, is no longer in there. And so no doubt that, about it. They're not going to have any Republicans that are voting for this thing in the House. So you got to hold hold those votes in the House side.
3: Absolutely. And they're frustrated as heck as well. And, you know, they wanted these bills to be voted on together, the bipartisan infrastructure package and this social spending package as well. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and company, a handful of them at least, um, were not on board with the bipartisan infrastructure package. It's had a a bit of an impact, uh, a backlash on AOC back home in New York City, where they stand to benefit a lot from infrastructure spending. Um, But yeah, that's something that Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Majority Leader Steny Hoyer are looking over their shoulders at to see, um, are the progressives still okay? Are they still on board or are they about to revolt? Um, because the majority is so slim at this point that if a bunch of them say no, then it's dead. It's done. And uh, back to the drawing board when, you know, time is not in their favor heading into midterms, when uh, a lot of folks like to start to go home and start campaigning in 2022 and not being here uh, battling over multi-trillion dollar legislation.
1: Yeah. But, Leslie, just to be clear, if they don't get this thing through to build back better in the Senate, that's
0: that's a loss for the administration. Oh, definitely. Big loss? Again, because voters have short-term memory and some people didn't, you know, want what was in it or the price tag. And, and obviously any political party can spin it. You put all those together, may not be as big a loss as some people are predicting right now. Yeah. Colin, Lessworth.
2: Uh, oh, well, if it's, if that doesn't get done, then there's nothing to show for the entire first two years of the Joe Biden and Democratic controlled Congress. So it definitely is a loss. I can question. Oh,
1: infrastructure. The- infrastructure got passed.
2: It did, but that's gotten bogged down in, in partisan politics, and, and I don't think Joe Biden is capable of taking the victory lap that's required or, or helping to, to lead that because uh, whether you like that or don't like that, it didn't get the, the political bump in the polls uh, that an accomplishment of that nature should, and that is uh, maybe a byproduct of our broken political system right now, but it's, it's not going to help Joe Biden short term.
1: Yeah. It's fascinating to watch, Uh, panel. Thanks very much. Here's a bit of U.S. history. On December 6th, 1884, the Washington Monument was completed. The original idea for the monument was decided in 1783, actually, to honor the nation's first president, George Washington, but wasn't put into action until 1832, long after his death. The Washington National Monument Society was formed to raise money, for the statue's construction. And finally, after raising $230,000, multiple delays in construction and many years of an incomplete structure, the 555-foot marble statue was completed in December of 1884. It stands at the center of the National Mall between the U.S. Capitol and the Lincoln Memorial for all to see. That'll do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and review. We want to hear from you. For Colin, Leslie, and Mike, I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time.